Wow. Well, I was uh, coming hungry for a movement of God this morning, and I felt like God released the heavens on that last song. And I hope you had a similar experience. Uh, I was praying up front here, pleading with God just to come into this space and touch my heart because I needed it this morning. And uh, I trust that in a similar way, God has met you here and he's encouraged you and stirred you and blessed you. A couple of weeks ago, we did something a little bit different that uh, I found out was interesting. Uh, I found out that you really liked it. And uh, you know what that was? It was crowd participation. And so guess what? We're going to do it again. I'm going to, in a moment, ask you a question. And when you have your answer, I want you to call it out. And you're going to have to call it loud because I have hearing issues and I'm a little bit deaf. At least that's what my wife tells me. And so I want you to call it out and, uh, and give us your answer so everybody in the room can hear. And so here's the question. What is the most important quality that you look for in a friend? Go ahead. You can answer the question. What's the most important quality you look for in a friend? Honesty. Oh, that was two in a row. That's good. Both answers uh, were the same. Good. Anybody else? What do you look for in a friend? What was that? Honesty? Trust. I like it. Loyalty. Kindness? Loves God. Awesome. Not Flames fans. That's not a good friend. I will be praying for you after the service, Norm. No, that's good. Anybody else? Authenticity and humor. I love it. You know, uh, relationships are so important in the context of the church, and we've been crying out to God in regards to our relationship that we have with Him. And uh, as we start into a new sermon series this morning, one of the things that immediately comes onto the table is the relationships that we share with each other and the power and the effect of unity and, uh, and resolving conflict as we share in church and as we share uh, in our times of worship and as a faith family together. Before we get into this too much, and I'll, we'll talk about this more uh, as we get into the back end of the sermon and after the sermon is done, I want to say to our moms a very happy Mother's Day to you. We love our moms, and we love what you bring to our church and what you bring to the faith. We love uh, just sharing life with you, and so we look forward to continuing to celebrate you in our service and, uh, and uh, throughout the day, and trust that you will be blessed as we do so. They called it the shattered bond. And in this case, the shattered bond lasted for three decades uh, that Angel, or sorry, Angela didn't have relationship with her brother. She said it was like grief, like bereavement, where she knew her brother was alive, but he wasn't present in her life. And together they had missed all the milestones. When Angela had met her husband, when they had had weddings, when there was birthdays, when there was holiday celebrations, all of it was missed because of a moment of conflict. Angela and Robin had been very close as children, but then when Robin was uh, 17 years old, he mistakenly overheard Angela make derogatory comments about his girlfriend, and that's when it all started to unravel. Things blew up. Eventually, when Robin uh, married that girlfriend, Angela wasn't even invited to the wedding. And they would, uh, for 30 years, live with a separated or a broken existence. 
And then 30 years after this event took place, when Angela was 53, her mother became gravely ill. And they took mom to the hospital and the family was gathered around and there was moments of ebbing and flowing, as many of you know, through health journeys. And at one point, mom turned to Angela and she said, would you just try one more time and reach out to your brother? They had a phone number for him and so uh, Angela picked up her phone and she sent her brother a text. And in the mercy of God, he responded. And Robin was brought into the family WhatsApp group. And what initially started up as a discussion as, as uh, their mother's care turned into some reminiscing and into other news. It opened up communication, Angela said. And it started to reframe or reset a relationship that continues to join together today. We now meet each other every other week. It's a new start, as said Angela, but we've missed so much. What we do have now is to work with life in front of us with just little glimpses of the boy that I never got to know for so many years. The shattered bond has been in existence, or it's been around since the beginning of time. We could look back into the Genesis account and find that Cain and Abel shared a shattered bond. And there's been others throughout history. Elizabeth one and Mary one, William and Harry, Flames fans and Oilers fans, Leafs fans and Habs fans. There seems to be a shattered bond, a separation in relationship. And friends, for sure, we find this in families, but it also transcends sibling relationship and is pervasive in all sorts of relationship and in our culture. Life can often feel like we're walking around avoiding people rather than being unified and coming together. One German sociologist suggested, or sorry, psychologist suggested that 28% of survey respondents had at least one shattered bond with a sibling, let alone with other people in their life, and 14% of people surveyed had multiple shatters. And if this is true in families, then how much more present is it in the relationships of life that we work with day in and day out? And that was before COVID. Now with COVID over, hopefully, and moving forward, the past three years have caused us to become more tribal, more fractured, more broken in our relational bonds that we hold to. And as we step forward into a new season and new days, I believe that Jesus is saying to us, would you lean in with me and would you know that I have something even more for you? Something more connected, something more united than even you might be expecting as you walk around in these moments. I have a a plan. I have a purpose in relationship. And I want to invite you to walk with me so that you aren't living in the brokenness or in the existence of shattered bonds anymore, but so that you can live reconciled and in peace with one another. I'm really excited this morning to begin a new sermon series that we're calling Small Books, Big Messages which will be a study through books of the Bible that we typically don't spend a lot of time in, but that hopefully will speak to us in these days. This series of messages has been inspired by some men in my life that I meet with regularly. On Wednesday nights, we have a men's prayer group that meets online. There's a number of men's prayer groups, but for the one I'm in for the last season, we've been studying through different books of the Bible. And in those conversations that we've been having, I've been inspired at how relevant the words of Scripture are into the, into the present-day realities that we're working with. And so for the sake of this series that will take us into the summer, I want to invite you on a journey as we walk through the books of Philemon, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Jude. 
and consider how Jesus is speaking to us in these days and how he's leading us forward in this emerging season. And for the sake of our time today, we're going to get right into it. We're going to turn into the book of Philemon. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open them up. Philemon, uh, I guess it's only one chapter, but Philemon verses 1 to 7 is what we're going to be reading this morning. Philemon comes just before the book of Hebrews and just after the book of Titus. It's one of the shortest books in, the, in, all, of the, in all of the scriptures and for sure in the New Testament. And I think has a powerful message. I'm hoping has a powerful message for us here today. If you're watching online, I'd encourage you to use your online Bible tool. And if you're here, you're certainly welcome to always use your device or your your Bible. And follow along with me as I read these words. Philemon, starting in verse 1, we read this. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, a dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. And to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in the deepening of your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of your people. The book of Philemon is obviously quite short, but it speaks an incredibly important message to the church here today, and I would suggest specifically to the church in Western Canada. At its heart, Paul is addressing a people who've been living in conflict, and in these opening verses, Paul is showing to us how we can live with each other in the focus of who we're supposed to be and the focus of our relationships as we share in life together. Philemon, for sake of background, was likely a wealthy uh, believer, a leader in a house church that we learn about early on in in, uh, verse 2. And he's got, because of his wealth, he's got people that work for him or people that work under him. And in the case of this book, uh, there's there's, um, not just reference, but there's consideration made towards a slave by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus has fled away from Philemon, and in doing so, he was taken to prison. And while he was in prison, he met a man by the name of Paul. And as Paul interacted with him, Onesimus came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in doing so, Paul suggests to Philemon here later on in this book that it changed the relationship. It changed the way that he connected to Philemon. First, it was slave master and slave, and now they are brothers in Christ. And what Paul is concerned about here as he gets into, or as he works through this letter, is the conflict that is, is present between initially the slave master and slave, and now between the brethren in Christ. He's concerned about the broken relationship, the broken bond, and he wants to address it. And really what this boils down to is an issue of unity, and uh, unity in the church and fulfillment in the faith flourishing in the human soul. And what he addresses here initially is really where we are at our best together. The the most joy, the most effective, the the, the fullness we can be uh, in who God created us to be is when we share in life united and together as believers in the context of the local church. When we operate in this way, it's in this environment that allows us to live with soft hearts towards each other and lean into the fullness of who God created us to be. 
And it's an environment where we will flourish. It's also an environment where others will notice the difference in our lives, and hopefully it will create a tension for them. It will cause them to ask questions about how they can live in this sort of relationship themselves. And as someone who is desperate to reach the ancient world, uh, Paul saw when Paul saw that there was conflict in the church, he knew that he had to address it because of the high cost that would come if this house church wasn't effective partners in the gospel. Similarly today, friends, when conflict comes to the local church, it becomes one of the greatest tactics of the devil to tear down the church and to destroy human flourishment. Unresolved conflict seems to be rampant in our culture, and while the culture talk, tells us and leads us forward to just walk away or neglect it or ignore it, Paul says that here that biblically, or Paul shows to us here that biblically there's a different pattern or a different model that can lead us back to flourishment again. Well, frustration is a consequence of sin and brokenness, it doesn't have to be the final result. And rather, uh, it's oftentimes that in the context of the local church, as we serve together and as we work together and as conflict arises, if we can develop a pattern to walk through and a pattern to walk forward, the benefit of working through conflict is that it will bring us into deeper intimacy with each other and deeper intimacy with God. The difference being a willingness to repent and admit our brokenness or our wrongdoings and a willingness to lay down our and to forgive and lay down our sword. For too long, our culture has been winning the battle when it comes to relationships. And rather than leaning into the tension, it's telling us to walk away. And I believe that through this, uh, this passage here today, uh, Philemon is going to show us, he's going to paint to us a better picture, a better pathway a blessing that's going to come as we lean into a commitment of being a faith family together. The vision that we need to establish is a picture of a family and not a society of ex-friends or ex-colleagues or ex-partners, but rather a commitment to to live a Christ-centered life, one that is repentant, one that is reconciling, one that works with each other and for each other and points people towards Jesus Christ. Well, we continue to live in fascinating days, and as we sit on the cusp of a provincial election, and with all that's going on in the world with politics and military and social issues and crime and, and everything that we're working with, more and more it feels like we're being forced to pick sides in the battle of life. More and more it feels like we're finding strategies to cancel each other out, and to be honest with you, it's become completely exhausting. And yet as crazy and as divided as the, as the world feels, as, as overwhelming and as conquering as it is in the church, we certainly have had our own issues as well. Some pastors in an article I read this past week called it tribalism. And the perspective they had is that more and more we're finding fault lines in the relational network or the fabric of our existence, and we're allowing those fault lines to break us apart rather than bring us together. And the result is leaving us as disenfranchised uh, believers, walking away not just from unity, but from the church altogether and from, from fulfillment and joy in the Christian life, believing that we're better alone, believing that we shouldn't worry about gathering anymore because it's too hard and it's just not worth it. Well, as much as that can become present in the local church in North America and probably around the world, 
Paul paints a different picture here. And he starts to show us here in, this, in these verses, starting in verse 4, a different way of living that allows believers to find joy and satisfaction and fulfillment in the relationships that they share with Jesus and with each other. Let me take us back to verse 4 for a minute and read these words. He says this, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. He's showing affection towards them because I hear about your love for all his people and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul does is he focuses their attention. He, he provides focus and direction to their unity. And he does something for them that I would label as a gospel-centered virtue. He points them to something higher than themselves. He gives direction or vision to where the focus of the relationship should be. And it's not in the secondary issues that we often wrestle with in the church and in culture and in life. But it's in the primary relationship that we hold as believers that being Jesus Christ. Paul shows them that this is a way of living that's influenced and impacted by a higher standard or a higher value. And for us as as Christians, for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that comes in the person of Jesus himself. Verse 4 really stands out here because he expresses his thanks for the love of people, but he expresses thanks because of their love for the Lord Jesus Christ. He focuses them, he directs them, he guides them. And he reminds them of what's most important. And I really believe that when we live in this type of way with a gospel-shaped virtue in our lives, it really changes the way that we operate together. It really impacts the way that we connect and the way that we move forward when conflict and crisis comes our way. And really, this was the model or it was the task of, of Paul in much of his writings He guides us towards a Christ-centered existence or a Christ-centered life. He reminds us over and over through his letters to live like Christ because of what Christ has done for us. And I'll give you a few examples of this. Over in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 11, we read about the ministry of reconciliation. And here, as people who live with a gospel-centered or a gospel-shaped virtue, Paul shows us that there's an expectation or there's a different way of living when it comes to conflict. We are to work to resolve our conflict. We are to move forward. We are to die to ourselves and to come alive in Christ. We are to forgive one another. We are to bless one another. He says here... um, From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. Therefore, if anyone is is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. He establishes a new standard here, a new expectation, that that when it comes to conflict, we're not just going to walk away. But as the Spirit prompts us, we're going to come back. We're going to lay down our sword. We're not going to convict, but we're going to convince one another that it's worth it to come back to the table. It's worth it to lean in. Because when you lean in and when I lean in, the pieces that we bring to relationship help us to see the fullness and the picture of who Jesus created us to be, sometimes as a family, sometimes as friends, and sometimes as a church family. Another example of of, uh, a Christ-centered existence uh, or a a gospel-shaped virtue comes in Ephesians chapter 4. And as we read here, we can see that there's this this picture. Uh, Paul says here, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. 
Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He's pleading with us. He's leading us to consider the relationship that we share together. And yes, the relationship that we have with Jesus is a personal relationship. But when we enter into personal relationship with Jesus, he brings us into a faith family and he leads us forward to operate as that faith family together. And in doing so, he says, we will find the deepest measure of joy, the deepest measure of satisfaction, the deepest measure of fulfillment in the Christian life when we share in it together. He goes on here to paint a picture of the type of people that he brings together. He said, so Christ considers himself to give. And this is called the apest model. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors or shepherds, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body, not just the individual, but the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of of Christ. Friends, a gospel-centered or a gospel-shaped virtue is one that works together. It's the coming together of relationships to focus on Jesus, and it's critical and important in the Christian life to live into this and to live out of this, because as we do, what Paul says to us here in the book of Philemon is that we will find joy. We will, uh, we will deepen our understanding of every good thing that we share for the sake of Christ. And so it's been so often the case that in the church and for sure in the culture, that sometimes when we take our attention off of, of, off of Jesus being the center of a relationship and we allow other things to become uh, primary rather than allowing or maintaining them as secondary, that we can enter into conflict. It's so often been the case when we've allowed political things or um, even sometimes religious things, when we have allowed things from the culture to guide and direct our relationship forward rather than Jesus Christ, that we come into times of conflict. And what Paul does in the book of Philemon, what he reminds us of and what he's going to tell us in the coming weeks and what he does throughout his writings is, it, is that he reshapes that. He brings it back together. He reminds us of what's critical and what's important again. And he leads us forward to find joy despite our circumstances, fulfillment despite our days, strength despite the struggle, as we operate with Christ at the center together. Last night, as I was laying in bed, I was restless. One, because it was warm in our house, and two, because I was just processing this. And I think it's so appropriate in light of Mother's Day and in light of the time that we're, we're taking to celebrate uh, the, the moms in our lives, the earthly moms and the spiritual moms, that we just acknowledge that it's often been the case in the church that our moms have done some of the, um, some of the finest work, some of the greatest work in helping us to live into this together. I know in my life, my own mother and my mother-in-law and my wife have done phenomenal jobs at reminding me to keep Jesus at the center of my relationships over and over and over again. Reminders of the importance of going to someone to work out conflict. Reminders of coming together and gathering together in Jesus' name. Reminders of, of sharing in all aspects of life together and not getting distracted by secondary issues, but by keeping Jesus at the center. Growing up in my life so many times, my mom would come to me and say, it's really worth it to work things out with your sister. 
or you need to figure out a way to, uh, to come back together with this friend or that friend. And so often it was the case that as we, as we brought Jesus back to the center, it started with a posture of prayer, or it meant coming and eating together, or it meant sitting down and having the difficult conversations. And why? Not because it was comfortable, but because it was worth it, and it was the design of God to bring us back together. It was the biblical impetus for leading us forward in relationship, rather than the cultural tension to just walk away. Paul is saying here, no more exes, no more ex-friends, no more ex-colleagues, no more ex-teammates. You are all one in Christ. And he's saying this because he knew that if this wasn't addressed, the effectiveness of the church was going to be impacted. The unity that they enjoyed in in that season, in that house church, was going to be impacted. The fulfillment in the Christian life was going to be impacted. And similarly, as we step forward into a new season of life here in Lethbridge, I believe that Jesus is breathing into us and he's saying, guys, I have something more. Guys, I have something better. Guys, I want you to find fulfillment and joy in your experience again. And it's going to come with Jesus at the center. Sometimes it's been the reality that as Christians, we've focused on what we don't have or what we're against rather than what we're for. And I think it's the case here that we can stand up together and we're people that have come from different backgrounds. We've lived different lives. Literally, we've seen our church transformed and seeing the nations of the world come together in this place. And with that, we can stand and we can say the one thing that we have in common, the one thing that remains is Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, then there's every reason to come sit down at the table. There's every reason to gather together. There's every reason to to celebrate and to sing songs like we just sang about the same God. The same God who was present in ancient times. The same God who was present in my life in places like Camp Camisol or Canadian Bible College or Ottawa or Ingersoll or Calgary or Winnipeg or wherever my past took me. The same God who moved in my life then. It's the same God who's moving in my life now. And as I celebrate that reality in my life, I can share that with friends and brothers and sisters in Christ because Jesus is the center of who we are. Jesus is the center of our gatherings. Jesus is the one we love. And if we can focus on that, then I think we have great reason to move forward and find joy as we gather together, despite the circumstances that are going on around us. You know, I think if we went around the room this morning and we asked the question, how are you doing? We'd probably get a response that would be something like this. You might get a response that says, ah, you know, not too bad. But if I followed it up with it and I said, man, wouldn't it be awesome to recharge our batteries in this next season? I think you'd get a response that would say, oh, that would be so great. Different ones in the room. If I came to you and I said, we should go recharge our batteries at the lake. You might say, oh, that would be great. Others of you, if I said we should go and and, uh, take in some retail therapy, you might say, oh, that would be awesome. If we went to Pastor Saul and we said, you know what we should do tonight? We should sit down and have uh, a meal together, some Brazilian barbecue, and enjoy some some feijoada and some sirloin cap and, and, and just eat together. He would say, oh, that would be so awesome. Refreshment is something that all of us need. 
And conflict can deplete us of refreshment. And as we're people who are looking to recharge our batteries and, and reframe our lives in this new season, I think sometimes we get priorities mixed up and we forget how to move forward. In the movie Jesus Revolution, Lonnie Frisbee said to Chuck Smith, he said, people are looking for all the right things, but they're looking for them in all the wrong places. And I wonder if this is true in our lives too. With that in mind, look at what Paul says to us here in verse 7. He says, your love has given to me a great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. He's speaking into unity. He's speaking into their actions. He's inviting them to behave biblically rather than culturally. And he's looking at the unity that these people have. And, he's mot- and they're motivated to keep Jesus at the center. And he acknowledges that not only is it good in his observation, but that these people are experiencing in its goodness refreshment as well. Refreshment to the core. Refreshment from the past season. Refreshment as they come together and put Jesus at the center. Friends, what if in these days of summer that we're starting to lean into, we actually lived into this? What if refreshment had more to do with coming together and celebrating Jesus? And what if it had more to do with recovering um, relationship than it did with setting the perfect table or having the perfect experience or, or doing yet one more thing? What if we prayed and we said, Jesus, what are the broken areas of my life? And would you help me? Would you reveal them to me? And then would you give me courage to lean in and make things right with uh, so-and-so once again? What if refreshment meant that we had intentional gatherings through the summer, either Sunday mornings or on our worship night or meals or coffees or time where we get together when we pointed one another towards Jesus Christ? I'm convinced that after studying this passage and I'm hope-filled after praying and considering these days that if we leaned into this, that as we come into the fall of 2023, we might not exhale and say, oh, it's just one more time to do this again. But as we come into the fall of 2023, we might be invigorated and say, instead of, oh, here we go again, to say, we get to do this again. And that's why I'm so convinced of the importance of this passage, because I'm convinced and I'm believing that in these days, we have an opportunity to prioritize a gospel-centered or a gospel-shaped existence in a fresh way once again. To move forward on vision, to bring Jesus to the center of our gatherings, to not grow weary or lose heart, but instead to experience refreshment. Because for too long, we've existed with the shattered bond around us. And we've put up with it in our world. Our culture is saying it just is what it is. But Paul through Philemon is saying that Jesus has something so much more for us. You know, the reality is, is that in our church, in these days, we've had pretty good unity. In fact, I'm not even really aware of uh, this being rampant in our church. It probably exists, but this is the passage that came up. And as just practical it is, is that this is the passage that came up, I think it's also extremely relevant. Because as I interact with many of you, as we share in life together, I'm hearing more and more that there's a weariness to our souls. And I'm convinced that we don't have to settle for that. In fact, I think that Jesus has revealed to us that he has something more and that his healing balm can come upon us as we place him in front of us in a fresh way. So friends, don't lose heart. Instead, step forward in the path 
that Jesus has for us with him at the center. Because I believe that as we come into the fall, I believe that as we journey through summer, I believe that as we live into these days, that Jesus has something more for us and there's something even more to come. There's a deeper engagement. There's a deeper connection. There's a deeper fulfillment, maybe than we've ever known before. Jesus needed to allow this season of of fractures and tribalism and all the things that we've been through, he needed to allow it to happen so that the, the, the hard ground could be broken up and so that we could come together in a fresh way and experience him with some newness and freshness. I'm going to invite the worship team to come, and as they come, I want to ask you this. I want to go back to that first question of the day. What's the most important quality you look for in a friend? Honesty was important. Integrity is important. Humor was important. Being a Calgary Flames fan is important. Don't, you don't have to be. That's fine. But what's the most important thing uh, for a friendship? It's the importance of having Jesus Christ at the center of that relationship. You know, I realize that we have many friendships in this world where uh, the other side maybe isn't walking with Jesus or doesn't know Jesus as Savior and Lord. And I want to suggest to us that one of the ways we can bring Jesus to the center of that relationship is to start with a posture of prayer. It's to pray and to ask Jesus to move in that person's life, to soften hearts so that they can make a decision or they will come to the place where they make a commitment to bring Jesus to the center of their lives and in doing so, the the center of of our friendship. Friends, these are great days. And as much as we've gone through a crisis, I believe that Jesus is giving to us an opportunity. So I want to invite you to lean in. I want to invite you to recalibrate your heart. I want to invite you to lay aside the expectations of what of what the hardship of life has given to us and in a fresh way say, Jesus, I'm coming back to the table. I want to worship you again. I want to bring you to the center of my relationships in my life and make you number one. I'm going to come back in a few minutes to close out our service and to celebrate our moms. But before we do, we're going to uh, sing a song together. And this is a great spot. It's a great place to um, just to stand up and to declare Jesus over your life and in your life once again. And so I'm going to invite you to stand. And as you do, we're just going to declare freedom in this place. And I don't know everything that's going on in your life. I know for some of us, life has been bumpy. But in these days, we're going to believe that the same God who worked in the life of Jacob and Mary and Moses, the same God who worked in the story of Philemon and Onesimus, who brought them back together, is going to knit together the next pages of your story here today. I'm going to invite you to sing, and then I'll come back. But can I encourage you in a fresh way to engage with what's happening in these moments? Can I encourage you in a fresh way to lift your hands and invite Jesus back to the center once again.